Welcome everyone back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm really good, Dave. Things are good. Overall, things are good, I would say. For if you're a Bruin fan, things are I mean, things are good. Let's say that. Good. What are you talking about? <laughs> It's almost basketball season. <laughs> yeah. What do you think yeah. I'm talking it's, about? It's, it's almost November, and so another sport will begin. What are you, th- what are you talking about is the, is the real issue. I mean, I don't know why you you don't get it. Oh, my God. Uh, we're going to talk about some stuff today. We've got to talk about football. I'm back to not wanting to talk about football, but we're going to do it. That's not really that. You know, people tune in to want to hear about you talk. So you just blew. You just deflated the whole thing right now Should yeah we, but let's the, start the, this the sickos like the, the sickos who want the football talk right now they're happy with me having that attitude because they want it for sick reasons oh you, they want to oh hit me again make me suffer is that what you exactly that's what, they, that's what they're into well i mean i think at this point wow, if you're still like really deeply invested in ucla football you've got to have a little bit of that in you right so we should be calling you like uh Mr. Dominator Wood, Dave Woods. I mean, I hope Adam. you don't, but if the shoe fits, right? I still have that one picture of you all in leather that huh. I should probably tweet out. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Yeah. That's the that's what keeps me here. Um, yeah, you know, I, I've had so many offers for like those high priced finance jobs, but Tracy just keeps me with the leather photo. <laughs> um. All right. So, yeah. here, God, here everyone's everyone stuck. We got to give everyone a moment just to stop <laughs> and picture that, because in radio like this, you people get off track when you give them something to think about, and then you talk about, it and then they don't uh, re- hear what you're saying. So, everyone just picture Dave like in a leather dog collar right now, if you can. That's great. That's great. Okay, let's go. All right. Uh, well, we, um, as you know, out there, we record a UCLA sports podcast. Um, and so we're going to talk about some UCLA sports now that we have gone through um, uh, sadomasochism. Uh, speaking of, uh, UCLA lost to ASU last weekend, uh, 42-23, in a game that was not that close. Um, UCLA's defense, I think, can safely be described as bad. Uh, now, um, we're, we're five games into the year and on balance, it's been bad. The pass rush is bad. Um, I I think that's getting kind of lost in the conversation is that the pass rush is way worse than it was last year. Oh, Uh, they're generating way fewer sacks. Keep using the word bad. I was going to count how many bads you say you're up to five. So keep Mm -hmm. going. Okay. Uh, the, the pass rush is bad. And so it makes the very bad secondary look even worse, uh, because the pass rush isn't getting home. And so the defense is, um, not good. It's bad. Uh, the, the, the rush defense is about the only part of it that isn't bad. Uh, it's okay, but, um, that's not enough when the pass rush and the pass defense are themselves quite bad. Um, what the issue was against ASU, beyond the very bad defense, uh, was also that the offense decided to take its turn at being very bad in the second half. Um, Chris Osgood's story, if anybody out there hasn't read it, uh, it's really, really good because what you saw with your eyes uh, was uh, verified by Osgood, which is that um, UCLA inexplicably... Like, no part of the game flow would have indicated this would have worked, but was still, in the second half of that game, attempting to run out of compressed formations against ASU, which had so obviously sniffed it out, like, within, I don't know, a few series of the first half, that it was actually insane for Chip Kelly to still be doing that in the second half. And if I'm reading that correctly, it's doing anything out of the compressed formations. <laughs> yeah, not almost just, literally not just anything. Running, anything. But, but definitely running. Yeah. Definitely running. But yes, all of it. Yeah. Nothing out of compressed formations. Run your 11 personnel. But, like, he was still doing 11 personnel, but he had wide receivers playing tight end. Someone made a really funny point. And, you know, I feel bad I don't remember who posted this. They said, we should, going forward, just call the receivers ends. There's a split <laughs> yes, end, I and that. I think he said a near end. Because all of them function like tight ends that they block and they're in line. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. It was it was so so bad. Um and ASU, I mean they clearly had this entire offense scouted out pretty well. The only thing keeping UCLA in it for the first half I thought was the heroics of Dorian Thompson Robinson. I thought he played really really well in that first half and that was the only reason it was close. Well, well wait, uh, let's stop really fast. It's really not that hard to scout out now. He's making it very very incredibly easy. Compressed formation, you just bring everyone in. All the bodies come in, right? What's what's so difficult about scouting against this? I mean, it's it's really pretty easy. So yeah, okay, sorry, just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, it's like um, it's out clevering. Like I think he's be, trying to be so clever on the margins that he's losing the forest, which is if you bring all those guys inside, and no matter how clever whatever run design you're going to put in place is, with that many bodies, your margin for error is so slim. Um, like one guy just half misses a block, and your play is going to get blown up, dude. Yeah, um, um, I, and I, it's. I don't eh. think it's trying to out clever. I think it's okay. Let's just do some speculation. We all. Chris Osgood's article was excellent. And I'm just picturing Chris listening to my interview with Chip Kelly on Monday and just fuming, right? When he's, you're calling me arbitrary? (laughs) In his story he wrote, he must have said sarcastically arbitrary more times than you said bad in this podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So chip kelly when i confront him and ask him he basically said you know whatever data i was coming up with what you were basing it on the criteria was completely arbitrary so chris went back in and said well this ain't arbitrary i'm going by pretty standard criteria that's universally accepted across the industry um and refuted what well i mean didn't refute what chip kelly said kind of proved what i asked him right so we have to assume Chip Kelly is a data-driven guy. He, he's got to have all this data. Going into the Arizona State, he had to have all the data that, that you know I cited. So why is he doing this? I mean, we're, we're psychoanalyzing the head coach. Why is he doing it? Um, I think it's personally because – I think Chip Kelly's a very good offensive football coach. Very good. Um he came up with the blur. He was considered an innovator and a genius. And now he's trying for whatever reason to prove that multiple tight ends, compressed formations are going to be his, his next genius move. After LSU, he got so much praise nationally for, you know, for redesigning college offenses again. While at the same time, it's it's an NFL type of offense that is kind of a calling card if he ever wanted to get back in the NFL, where he kind of learned it, you know, the multiple tight ends. But he's got the data. He's we've seen it before with coaches. If if you remember Carl Durrell and his West Coast offense, when we kept asking him if he would ever change the scheme, kept saying, No, it's just a matter of keeping your nose to grindstone, keep doing it getting executed better and it will work and it will work. And then when we all knew he was going to get fired, it might've been the last or second to last game before his, before he was fired. And he said, no, I'd be willing to change the offense. (laughs) I think it's just pure stubbornness that you see it with coaches. They get this thing, this idea, and this is going to be what they do. And they put so much time and effort into it. And in Chips Kelly's case, it's proving that he can make this work, uh, make an offense be elite in another way with an with another approach. And he, I think is doggedly he's going to stick with it. And and if it happens, go down with the ship. But I would be amazed if he if he gets out of the compressed the compressed obsessiveness. I mean, full, yeah, he hasn't in his time here. I mean, the thing is, that was a bad half for the offense. The offense itself has been fine this year. Um, but really, really weird um, non-adjustments in that game. Um, it was one of the few times this season, but really generally, where I thought he kind of went in with the just exact wrong idea for dealing with ASU. Um, and... 
Yeah, because, I mean, he's had uh, games where he's certainly gone more spread. Uh, this just was not one of them. I, um, and I kind of disagree a little. I know what you're saying, that the offense is fine, which it is. I mean, overall, it's a good offense. But he, he's got an ineffective defense, and the offense could not just be fine. It could be completely dominant if he just ran 11 personnel. And having a completely dominant offense would take a great burden off it off the like if he had it's, if it's he had run that in that offense. game it, he would have scored in the, a, yeah go ahead sorry it's a top 20 offense like it's a really good offense it's I, I don't want to belabor the point because it is really good um i mean i test whatever i mean yeah it could be top 10 it was top 10 before the asu game it's top 20 now it was a bad game um but the offense itself is pretty good um it's just uh picked a really bad game to be stupid and weird. <laughs> this is a bad day to, to give up smoking. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bad, bad, bad day to uh, give up sniffing glue. Yeah. Um, but it, but the offense itself, I mean, it's, it's fine. It's, it's, it's really, really good. Um, it's just one worry. I, I think given how quickly the defense has appeared to be scouted out after the first two games, uh, maybe, you know, starting to, see some Pac-12 defenses get the hang of this offense a little bit more. It'll be really interesting to see Arizona this weekend. They're not good, but I will say Don Brown is a good defensive coordinator. Um, he's a really good defensive coach. They have no talent, uh, but they have had an extra week to prepare. Um, I'm interested to see if the offense can be like gangbusters because they should be talent on talent against Arizona. Um, this should be a walkover. Like UCLA should score 40 plus. I don't think they will. Um, I think Arizona is going to have some stuff scouted out. Um, some of these tendencies, especially with Mike Martinez not on the field for UCLA, I think some of their tendencies have become more obvious um, to opposing defenses. So it's going to be a really interesting test this weekend to see if UCLA can do what they should do against Arizona, which is score 40, 42 plus. Yeah, it, uh, interesting too. I mean, there, there's got to be a little bit of a hangover. Uh, if you step back and get the bigger perspective, the guys in this program have have not won since they've been at UCLA. Um, so they come into this year, they get as high as ranked 12th. Um, they get a lot of hype. They finally think all this work, all the sacrifice for the last three, four years it's finally happening for us. And now that's a bit deflated. No matter how mature, how experienced they are and how workmanlike and how much they just want to make it a good Wednesday, they're still kids and they, they've got, that's got to be in their mind. Uh, I'd have to think that figures in a, a little here um, because they, they are all human. So you know, yeah. and young and not professional. And this happens to professionals anyway. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I can't even, I can't even fathom what would happen if they lost in Tucson. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, I've kind of joked about it now, but like, this is, um, I this is the UCLA I'm familiar with, right? The one that, oh, starting to get hyped up after like four games or three games or whatever. And then, oh, now three and two with a really disappointing loss. Like, we've seen this before. Um, and we've seen the way this story ends. And, yeah, I mean, it's up to Chip Kelly and this team to make it so that it, that's not the case. But how many times have we seen this exact season end six and six, seven and five? You, you know, like, yeah. That's, uh, and this is a, a team that came in, yes, like many UCLA teams before, uh, with a lot of hype. But I think you've kind of touched on it, which is that emotional letdown when you are built so hard, like when you're built so up for the idea that you are going to be a contender, that you're going to be a potential conference champion, that you're going to be a potential playoff contender, because you know that was a conversation they were having after beating LSU. Um, and to have all of that, more or less, taken away from you at this point. It, um, um, what does that do? Like, how does that change your emotional, um, your ability to be emotionally up for games? And I think um, if you're looking for clues uh bo calvert bo calvert's a really good interview i find him really uh, mature and i and he says a lot of things that sometimes just sound like player speak but there's some things underneath there 
that that if you really listen to what he's saying, and this week he said something like, you know, I sh- I'm paraphrasing, so I can't remember, but he did say something about if we, uh, if the players just need to stay composed, be- and he was talking about the, the personal fouls, but it's a testament to, it's a constant thing of, of keeping these college players, no matter how experienced they are, to keep them focused and not let their emotions and the whole psychology of it and their mindsets really affect the way they play. We have to remember that. And we've been told that this team is so experienced and they're so mature and that they're almost impervious to that. And I just, I, I just don't believe it. Um, yeah. The one thing also, I, I, um, you're, the other thing that's happening on the, you and I have tried to always be objective and factual and try to lend a balance and a perspective on things. And there are posters, and I don't mean, mean to call out anyone who said this, but people who've said like, well, if Chip Kelly even has doesn't have a good year, he shouldn't be on the hot seat because he's a good coach and what other coach could they get UCLA get of this caliber? And the thing is, though, let's just – I've said he is a good offensive coach, but is he a good head coach to lead a team? Because we've had four years and this is the team where it all should be coming to fruition. And what is that one – stat that you put out what is his current record and what would he have to do to not have the worst four years of any coach in ucla history yeah he'd have to finish nine and three yeah he'd have to finish nine and three to not have the worst four-year record of any ucla coach that record is held by rick neuheisel what happened to rick neuheisel at the end of that season oh gosh there was that that 50 thing he lost 50 to nothing, but most importantly, he was fired. Yeah. Um, he was fired because he underperformed the job. Anybody still clinging to the idea that Chip Kelly is this like mastermind head coach? Uh, facts, not in evidence. Yeah. Just not. Yeah. Um, and plenty he's, of he's, plenty of time to prove himself. And yeah, I'm not saying no now. I'm saying if this season ends up not good. Yeah, it's going to end up not that. good. Like it's yeah. going to end up not good enough. And not good enough is anything less than 9 and 3 because you cannot finish your first 4 years at UCLA under 42% winning games. Okay. You just can't. Dave, do you think they get to 9 and 3? No, god no. Okay. Are you kidding? Okay. They'd have I to go to What do they have to go? They have to go 5 and 1 the rest of the way? No, they're 3 and 2 right now. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, they have to go 6 and 1 the rest of the way. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh no, they're not going to do that. Because that requires um, winning some road games against teams that have like at least semi-competent offenses. Uh, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So, and like, look, and that's not to get like super down in the dumps about it. It's just the reality of what we've watched. And yeah, it would have been a different tune before they got pounded by ASU. But, um, you know, when the facts change, our opinions change. Um, and a- ASU... Uh, that game showed a lot. It showed that this, I think that was the final nail in the coffin for whether or not this defense can be successful. Um, And it can't be. What they're using, it was really instructive looking at Arizona um, This in preparation for this game because Arizona has to run a very high-pressure defensive scheme. Why do they have to run it, Tracy? Uh, Because they're trying to mask the fact they don't have a lot of talent. They have no talent. UCLA, um, the the unfortunate reality is that they have more talent than Arizona, yes, but it's a really under-talented defense by UCLA standards, historical UCLA standards, and it's most obvious in the secondary, but I would again say in the pass rush. Uh, the fact that they cannot get pressure with four, they truly cannot, and now they can't even get pressure with six because teams are picking up their blitzes, that is a lack of talent. Um, and that's, again, when we're like doing postmortems, which I'm, you know, firmly of the belief we'll be doing very soon on the Chip Kelly era, um, it's going to be, uh, all about roster management. How did this end up getting to this point? Because that secondary you've got, um, I mean, technically Quantrez Knight tech and then Cam Johnson, but it's a lot of high school recruited talent that just has not 
been up to snuff. It's not been up to UCLA standards. And frankly, uh, there is probably no position easier to recruit at UCLA than the secondary. Yeah, this brings up, I took like four notes while you were talking. Um, all uh, we after Fresno State, I wrote this thing like what defenses can uh, I mean, what offenses can crack the code of UCLA's defense? And after Arizona State, it's not even it's not even a code. I mean, it's all all Arizona State really did. Honestly, they didn't even get the ball out quick. All they did is go to Max Pro. I mean, they just kept guys in and blocked. So that yeah, max pro and throw up a moonshot and right? you've got a touchdown. Yep, because no matter how many guys UCLA's coming with and where they're coming from, if you got extra guys in blocking, they're all going to get picked up. And and the other element here too, um, I confess I watched some of the game and I really didn't want to, but um, UCLA seemed to stunt and twist a lot less than they usually did. And I think because when you do that, you can create holes and I think they said, well, we don't want to create holes for Jaden Daniels to run through, which created this overall great, <laughs> great formula for beating UCLA's defenses. Max protection. Um, everyone gets picked up. Don't even threaten to have the quarterback run that much. But in mass protection, he won't, he won't get touched. He wasn't touched. No. In in the backfield, he was not touched. He sat back there, not only threw up moonshots, and he threw those up because they were so easy against one-on-one -on -one -on -one coverage, but just completed almost everything he wanted to complete. Um, yeah. That's the way that's the way you do it. It's very, very easy. And given the personnel that UCLA has on defense, uh, is there anyone who's going to be able to get home? I mean, when they're going up against Max Pro, I, I don't. I, I just really don't see it. And then my last note that you touched on, the basic personnel approach that we heard from the beginning is Chip Kelly's going to get quality kids that might have some real upside. Three-star guys, lower four-star guys who just need, they're smart. There isn't going to be a problem getting them, getting them in academically. They'll be good citizens. There won't be that, that many problems off the field. Uh, and you coach them up, and they need their developmental guys. You get them developed. You put some weight on them. You find the right position for them. And you coach them up over three or four years. And then when they're redshirt juniors and seniors, they, they should be playing at a high level. And then since you've developed this, you just keep it rolling. Those guys leave, you plug in the next set because you've developed them after three years. As you said, the talent deficit is is marked. You can it's you can see it, and this is a real condemnation on this approach that this doesn't work. I mean, you do need the multiple year guys in your program, absolutely, but you you need some top end talent too. Um, and that's what this program is missing, even on top of him being able to upgrade the talent with the transfer portal. I mean, imagine without the transfer portal, what this roster would look like, right? Yeah. So it really is, it was an experiment. And so far right now, you'd have to say, let's say the jury's still out, but right now it's the data coming back from this controlled experiment is not good. Well, no, and certainly not. And the, that's the thing is, okay, build towards this season as the like proof of concept or whatever. Yes. Well, the proof of concept right now is at three and two. And um, to make the previous three years worth this, uh, you have to do, you would have to do better. Uh, not, um, now, nine and three, just to yeah. even come close. And here's the other thing, Dave, this, the, the schedule's really not tough. It, it truly no, it's isn't. turning out to be a lot easier um, in retrospect, even these first five games, than uh, you would have thought before the year. I mean, Fresno State's a team that lost to Hawaii now. At Washington, you, at Washington, I was thinking that was going to be a really tough game, but that's another that's a mismanaged program with a little bit of talent that just can't coach it Oregon up. Oregon just lost their starting running back. Oregon, um, Utah is not what anyone thought going in. USC, my gosh, I mean, yep. this. 
And if they well, and three teams, three teams on the schedule: Arizona, Colorado, and Cal, that are actively putrid. And so, like, if they can't get nine football teams, if they can't get nine wins out of this, eight wins doesn't, in my mind, doesn't do it. Given this schedule, and given that, as you said, proof of concept that that's what we should name this podcast because that's what this is. That's what this season is about. You're proving that all of the experiments and all of Chip Kelly's theories work this year. It's got to be proven, and and eight and four isn't proving anything with this schedule. No, and most importantly, what eight and four does is fall below the New Heisel line. You're not allowed to do that. That gets you fired. Sorry. And and the thing, this is the thing, and I I hate to perpetuate Rick Newheisel's number one major excuse about why his program didn't do very well. I mean, and. I love Jerry Neuheisel. I, I truly do. I really admire him and I really like him. But when when asked, I, I think he'll repeat it too. The whole Neuheisel family will say, well, you know, uh, this is Rick talking. I didn't have I didn't have the budget at all. I had no budget when I was there. And I hate to support that that is an excuse because people have got it done to UCLA without a great budget too. But I mean, comparatively, Rick Neuheisel had a minuscule budget compared to what Chip Kelly has also. Yeah, so even comparing the two. It, I mean, he, it's an excuse and it's not a justification, but it is true. Like, it's a fundamental truth that he is saying. It's just not the reason he was losing. And the it, reason he was losing is because he was a bad coach. And it really shines a spotlight on, on Chip Kelly, who has, I mean, he's got $5 million for a training table. And Rick Neuheisel had what? 700,000, yeah, 800 grand, something like that. I mean, so he has the resources to get it done. And he's not going to be, he more than likely will not finish in his first four years better than Rick Neuheisel. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really all that needs to be said. And so, um, you know, looking ahead at this weekend, I think it it has potential to be a potential, an interesting game, which I think is um, probably worrisome for UCLA people. Uh, Arizona's had a bye week. Um, they played their best game of the season in the loss to Oregon. I think it kind of is deceptive with the final score being what it is, 41-19. That game was 24-19 with Arizona driving um, at one point in the second half. So uh, they played a competitive game. They feel like they have their quarterback now in Jordan McLeod. He threw five interceptions in that game. Damn. Um, but he did enough positive that they um, came away thinking that's their that's their guy now. Um, he's a got some dual threat ability, um, and with another you know week of bye week prep as the number one guy, maybe he'll have his <laughs> knowledge of coverages down a little bit better. Who knows? Um, and, but Arizona, and, I think, is yeah. going to come in with a little bit of confidence um, because they feel like they just went toe to toe with uh, the class of the conference, um, and they're getting this at home and. You know, they had that advertisement for some walk-ons to join the team. So those guys are probably coming to fruition. About <laughs> There's going to be an influx of talent. Yeah. Like, this will be an upgrade, a talent upgrade. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Um, um, so you're back to 6-6 six and six on the season now, would you say? No, nah, I'm not there. No, okay. I, like, the thing is... I'm still... I'm at 8-4. and four. I, I Eight and four is probably like if you just did the, like, aggregating the percentage possibilities of winning all the games, I think it would end up at eight and four. Um, I think they'll undershoot that. I just don't know if it's six and six or seven and five. The, te- um, the team is what we thought it would be now. We went high. We thought, oh, they're better than we thought they'd be. Now they're about it, what we thought they'd be, but the schedule is considerably softer. Yeah, well, the thing is they've they've um, they've done what we thought they would do to this point. It's just exactly that, which is the remaining seven games are a lot softer than what we would have predicted for the remaining seven games. Like, it's more a reflection of the rest of the league. But UCLA is now, uh, like you just said, officially what I thought they would be. Um, you know, our question, the thing, that, you know, that that optimistic post that we put on after we did our predictions was based on the defense having figured it all out. Yep. Like, based on the defense having been a top you know, being like a top 40-ish defense. And it's not. It's it's once again somewhere in the 80 to 100 range. And if we're talking um, about Charlie Brown scenario here, this defense is the Charlie Brown of Brownest Charlie Browns. It, it starts out last season pretty decently. Then it looked like it all got sniffed out by the end of last season that opposing teams had, had pretty much schemed against it. 
So then all off season and you and I are speculating, what if this is really a good scheme? What if it can be sustained over the course of a whole uh, season? Starts out and the scheme is just too hard to counteract. Hawaii and LSU just can't figure it out, right? But then now we're five games in and how many teams have figured it out? You know, uh, at least two. <laughs> And so, I would say Stanford after the first uh, quarter yeah. had pretty much gotten. Let's a hang say of it too. two and a half. So yeah. they got. Uh, why does it work that way? Could Hawaii? I mean, did Todd Graham not really even look at UCLA's film from last season? Uh, um, what should we about the I LSU think, coaches? I think to an extent it goes back. Well, I think there's some element where coaches have scattered it out, but I think also. So Otito Bonio, Agbonia, uh, sorry, um, he got a little nicked up. Mitchell Agude got a little nicked up. Quentin Lake got a little nicked up. Um, the guys are still playing, but they're not at a hundred percent. I think this is uh, an ex- uh, this scheme and the the talent um, uh, the talent advantage UCLA has game to game is so narrow that it truly does require basically everyone playing at 100% tip-top shape. Um, and if there are some lacks, I mean, there's nobody behind Mitchell Agude who can do what Mitchell Agude does. So if he's playing at whatever it is, 70 or 80%, you know, he doesn't look quite right. But if he's playing at 70 or 80%, uh, then the that optimization is taken off of the, off, the, the entire defense because there's nobody else who can do what he does. And if he's not there to do it, then it just doesn't happen. Um, it's... It, I think there's like two things going on, which is that the talent margins are so narrow because of the lack of recruiting um, and roster management and uh, teams are sniffing out the scheme. And the combination of that is that a competently coached team with a decent enough offense can do gangbusters against this defense. Yeah. You know, it's ultimately might be ironic with, and not saying we're there yet, but Chip Kelly talking about self-inflicted wounds and what might be on the epitaph are his own. Between the stubbornness over the scheme, Jerry Azanero as the defensive coordinator and the recruiting, attempted recruiting experiment, you would consider those self-inflicted wounds. There, there was nothing well, that happened to him. He, those are all of his own making. Well, and this is so somebody put on the board a thread that was like, what one word would you use to describe the Chip Kelly era? And I contributed unnecessary. Um, So many of these things that he has decided to do have been unnecessary. Um, They've been to satisfy some weird itch or whatever to, you know, zig when everyone else is zagging. um, And it just has been largely unsuccessful. Um, Now, We'll see. We'll see how the remaining. I mean, we got to talk about basketball here because I'm going to get too doom and gloom. We'll see how the remaining rest of the season goes. I mean, it is an extremely weak schedule. Everyone out there. So if you want to hold on to some hope, I mean, if this team finds a way to lose to any of Arizona, Colorado, California, that would be um, uh, <laughs> that would be one of the worst losses UCLA has ever had. Um, if they find a way to lose to one of those teams. Um, so that's three wins that should happen right there. Um, and the question is, okay, can they get Washington? Can they get Oregon? Can they get Utah? Can they get USC? Um, and each of those teams is no juggernaut. Washington arguably has the worst offense in the league. Uh, Utah's not a whole lot better uh, defensively, actually. Their defense isn't that great this year. Um, you know, Oregon, probably the best complete team left on the schedule but they just lost to stanford um and their quarterback situation isn't great and then usc you just never know which one you're going to get game to game um they can absolutely blow ucla out and they can also get absolutely get blown out by ucla um so there's there's still room to make some noise there's still room actually even to win the pac-12 south because i don't think asu is emerging unscathed it's just uh, you know it's finger in the wind you can feel which way this one is blowing from from our perspective of where the bar is eight and four is the lowest expectation you know we're all speculating before the season but now we see it now we see what this what this team should be and we see the competition on the schedule eight and four i I mean that that should be mailed in (laughs) at eight and four nine and three is 
is the the expe the expectation that should be reached over over expectation would be ten and two. So nine and three is to me the minimum, um, uh, given everything that we now have, given opponents and the team's own talent, and anything less, just not acceptable. Okay, let's talk about basketball because damn, we got off on this weird football t tangent. Yeah, no, no, it's basketball season. I Gosh. think everyone knows. Um, Final Four Bruins, baby. Um, so uh, UCLA. Um, what did they start up? Like, did they start up fall fall practice or whatever? Yeah, or was it just they, media day or no? They've been having workouts during the summer. Then because they've been, they just constantly have them in the off season. Now, yeah, but right? it's all it's different though. You're limited by what you can do, how many hours each player can work out. And generally, like, they don't even go five-on-five five a lot. And then they take early September, they take a they then take a two- or three-week break. And then when school, when class starts, then they start real practice. So this practice has been going for two weeks or a week and a half. Um, and, uh, of course, you know, I've been trying to get some little tidbits out of practice from what I'm hearing from various sources and generally very, very, very encouraging. Of course, that it's not all perfect, but um, if there's a takeaway, there's, well, there's a few takeaways. First, from what I've heard, the team, just the, the overall impression of the team is um, really mature, developed, physically developed. Like if you look across the board between Jules Bernard and Jaime uh, Jaquez and Johnny Juzang, all of these guys, even, even Tiger Campbell from what I hear looks older and bigger and just more mature. Um, there's, that's the primary takeaway. And then the other takeaway from what I've heard of impressions from practice is the team isn't overly quick, which we knew from last year. <laughs> there isn't a lot of quickness, but it's incredibly long. They got a lot of 6'6 six, six guys, and then they added Miles Johnson and Peyton Watson, who are the two longest guys on the team. Miles Johnson, from what I'm hearing, has just these mammoth long arms that can block shots and throw down dunks uh, at it. It's just like kind of stunning what he can do. And then Peyton Watson looks like the true NBA prospect on the court, just that six, eight ish long talented kind of kid who can put the ball on the floor and not turn it over too much. And then probably end up being like the second best shot blocker behind miles Johnson uh, going up for, you know, rebounds above the rim. So that's the general, that's the general takeaway. And then I've also heard that everyone is, has taken a leap or, or most everyone on the team. And, and a lot of it is um, people being very impressed with Tiger Campbell, uh, that he's playing with more confidence, um, just like defensively where he, he's, not afraid to take on just about anyone <laughs> defensively. Um, his shot has improved. I mean, he shot really poorly from three last year. I mean, something like 25%. So anything's better than that. But his shot has improved. But just playing with a lot more uh, confidence. Jules Bernard, too, has become one of the best shooters on the team, actually. And that old Jules Bernard of driving to nowhere is almost non-existent now. Uh, he's mastered that jump stop um, and a good defender. Um, and then uh, you've got Johnny Juzang, who's improved his body. The shot is still, it's the NCAA Johnny Juzang, from what I've heard in practice. Improved body, a little bit more explosiveness, more fluidity in his, in his athleticism. Um, Jaime has has leaned down a little and is a, and is a bit quicker and a little bit more explosive. Um, so general, a Peyton Watson from what I'm hearing um, has been impressive. Like I said, in his ability to put the ball on the floor, 
um, and not turn it over and make plays off the dribble. Um, his outside shot is is iffy. It, it can go in, but it's kind of a long windup and isn't that consistent. And his mid-range ability to... Uh, he can get there without turning the ball over, like dribble the ball six inches off the ground and get where he needs to go, but it's finishing in the mid-range that might be a little challenging. Um, defensively, just has to learn learn how to play, learn where he's supposed to be, learn what angles to take, what kind of footwork you need, where you should be on help defense, all of that. But I could see him matching up defensively against anyone from 6'4 to 6'8 and being able to play someone well defensively. And if someone gets by him, being able to recover by blocking their shot. I mean, that that's that kind of guy. Uh, I've asked whether they think he's one and done. And generally the feeling is that if you, if you took this out of context six, seven years ago, you'd say he needs a couple of years. But given the fact Joshua Christopher and Zaire Williams went lottery, it's hard, it's hard to say. Uh, you know, all you need is one NBA franchise to decide this guy has too much upside. What I've heard is that he still needs to show that there is an NBA skill set there. Like there's the beginning of it, but it's got, it has to develop. And they'd like to maybe see it develop a little bit more, but, you know, one franchise says they're taking him, everyone's going to, or they would take him, everyone's going to jump on board. Um, I'd say he starts out the season from the bench, but he will be mostly because Jules Bernard has been so impressive. Um, but there's there's a chance he could get starters minutes if he continues to develop, be able to finish some of those shots and get a little bit more refined in his defense. Um, so, you know, Cody Riley looks, I from what I hear, thinned down a little. He's extended his range. Um, the, the difference, uh, from what I'm here also is that, uh, Mick Cronin, I think he even said in an interview, look, we are top 10 in offense and 70th in defense or something. So you can understand that emphasis so far early in practice has been on, has been on defense. Um, and that's, that's about man to man on ball defense, but it's also about help defense, uh, learning all the intricacies of that. And when you return mostly a veteran team, you're not starting from, from necessarily square one. And one of the transfers uh, was the def I think maybe the defensive player of the, of the year in the big 10 last year. Mm -hmm. And it changes to, you can extend your defense. You could try to get some more steals and deflections when you got a rim protector, the caliber of miles Johnson. And I've heard he's been, incredibly impressive like Cody Riley who I, I mean last year really took some guys to the woodshed in the post offensively that he, he didn't want any part of Miles Johnson right now from what I'm hearing so a lot of a lot of promising a promising things out of practice I will be writing an article today in fact about all this so you'll be able to read it all too today Friday Friday today okay I love to hear that about today, later today, Friday. I'm, I'm sure everyone's going to say, well, what about Jalen Clark? What about, and that will all be in the article also. I just didn't want to take, I didn't want to have to break down the entire team. Jalen Clark looks physically a lot bigger. He looks like he should be a football player. Um, is not a real fluid athlete, but from what I'm hearing, he still shows quickness that the offense hasn't maybe developed as much as you would have liked in the, off season, but gotten stronger if that's possible and really so effective around the basket can guard anyone from probably a two guard to a five, which gives Mick Cronin some real versatility in being able to match up with opponents. From what I've heard is this team looks so big, so long and is so like the difference between when Mick Cronin got there and had to describe every single drill on what you were going to do. And now they're, the team's practically running, knows exactly what Cronin wants before he's even asking for it. Like Tiger 
Campbell is an extension of, of Mick Cronin. Like they have, uh, like are able to communicate without even talking from what I hear. So the experience level and knowing what these players doing, what Mick Cronin wants is on, is on a completely different level. And that's, that's something that will take them very far. And the, I don't think there are too many teams in college basketball that have that kind of length, size, and then experience and experience in the same system as UCLA does this year. Well, damn, Tracy. Can a team hang more than one banner in a single season? <laughs> um, that's not to say, you know, they're returning to Final Four and we're going to win a national championship, but they are going to be highly competitive in every game this year. I think so. Yeah, they're going to win every game. Okay, there you go. I'm glad you said it. I said it. I meant it. Um, they're going to challenge a wooden streak. Uh, how many straight games? Damn, 70-something. Yeah, that'll be that'll be what it is. Um, okay, well, that was good. And then recruiting. Well, that that, that really recruiting. cleansed the palate, we gotta Tracy. Talk, we got to talk about Adam Bona. Adam Bona. He's Give visiting, me an update on Bona. Visiting in two weeks for the Oregon football game weekend. UCLA mm. is right there, if not maybe even potentially leading. I, I mean, he came out of his Kentucky visit, and the Kentucky sites, God bless him. You know, they every one visits. He's either if if there's if there's some mention that another school has a chance, that means they really have a chance, and that's kind of what it was coming out of that visit. He has. I yesterday I wrote that recruiting article. He has some connections that to the UCLA program, feels comfortable in LA. He's supposed to make his deci decision shortly after the UCLA visit. There are people right now who feel UCLA has a really, really good shot at Adam Bona and, and right now might have a really good shot at Ernest Uday also. Um, I don't okay. think, I don't think they'll take both. They'll take the first guy to commit. So that should be very fun and exciting. Um, the fact that you like saying Adam Bona, but you never really used the kind of reference and connotation with Atito Agbanya, I find mm -hmm. interesting. Well, because, uh, frankly, I don't know what you're talking about. But second, um, uh, Bona by itself is, it's the word. Okay. It's, it's it right there. I guess because when um, you were talking about Tito, you said Atito Agbanya. Earlier. So I'm not a big I'm not a big pun guy generally. You're not, um, but you are now. But his is so beautiful because his first name can be abbreviated A. So I can say things like, uh, so in a couple of weeks, Mick Cronin might end up with a Bona. <laughs> okay, that actually made me laugh. Yeah. yeah. So you but like that only when it's perfect can you can you sit there and use a pun like that. Okay. But it, it has so much potential to be perfect constantly. Like, I'm picturing him dominating a Final Four game in, like, three years, right? And I will say UCLA has a Bona advancing or Bona, to the championship Bona game. really popped in this game. Right, right. Uh, a Bona exploded. <laughs> UCLA headed to, headed to the championship game. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's plenty to be done. We can't, we can't like, use them all right now. Right, yeah. Right. Um, but it's just, uh, you know, there's a lot to be done there. I think everyone can agree. There's a lot to be had. Uh, yeah. There's, there's much to be had. There's, there's uh, much to be manipulated there. Anyway, um, very exciting <laughs> about foot, uh, basketball and basketball recruiting overall. Yeah, don't, don't say the F word again. What F word? Would that... <laughs> That's not the four-letter <laughs> one, is it? No, no, no. It's the eight-letter one. Yeah. Don't say that one. Okay. So, I'm sorry. We, we're, ending, we're ending with a palate cleanser, Tracy. Let's not, <laughs> let's not bring up ugly topics. Uh, is everyone going to Las Vegas? If you're not, you really should. I can't think of a better time, two days in Vegas. And prices are dirt cheap for Vegas. So here's the question, Tracy. The here's the question. Of November. Tracy. If UCLA, uh, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up the ugly topic again. If UCLA football, what the hell, finishes like eight and four, nine and three, and ends up in the Las Vegas Bowl, yeah, how many UCLA sporting events will be in Las Vegas from like Thanksgiving week to New Year's Eve? Well, you, do you is that do you want me to answer that question? 
Well, no, I, oh. I guess I'm just wondering, are we setting up a bro command post like at the Venetian and we're just there for a month and a half? If anyone has a timeshare that they'd like to give up to bro and we could like <laughs> host a month long tailgate. Like we would yes, just, we, that... we would just plant ourselves <laughs> in the timeshare and it's an open door policy. People come and go. We got the bro banner up. We got the kegger. We got the open bar and people just keep coming. I, I, that sounds great. If anyone would like to do that, this would be, this would be a lot of fun. When is the Las Vegas bull, Dave? I think it's later. December I don't think it's by Christmas 30th. anymore. So, yeah. I mean, we know that we have, we absolutely have the 22nd and 23rd of November. We have uh, that weekend after that for the UNLV game. We've got December 18th for the North Carolina game. If by, if perchance UCLA makes in the championship, in the Pac-12 championship football game, that's December third and then if they make it or and or <laughs> the las vegas bowl that's december 30th so there are a lot of chances and i know there's a timeshare out there to be had make it happen bros would you come dave i'd come for a bit that's fun that's really yeah. fun when's the last time we were in vegas together that was a long time ago that was pac-12 tournament uh i don't know 2015 do we have fun I think we had fun. What did we do? Um, hard to remember. Yeah. Then we must. Have, oh, I. You know what I remember? We went all the way to the Las Vegas Hilton to lay a bet on UCLA's football season, and we won. Yeah, but was that 2015? No, no, that was 2012. Oh, okay. You're, you're mixing years. No, because 2012 is the one where we hit the. Because uh, that was where they predicted Mora's first team to go like six wins. My drunken. Like, no experiences in las vegas with you are a blur yeah they're just a blur they are the blur a blur of the only blur yeah. that we care to talk about anymore of sports yeah. books and beards and <laughs> it's just sports a, books and beards yeah that's a great memoir yeah but yeah that's uh, god a good experience in in a in a book in vegas sounds so much fun right now ah, everyone come to vegas it's gonna be fun it'll be great it'll be great all right, Tracy, you got anything else? Nope. All right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, and we will talk to you again next time. We love all you guys.